Have you ever just begun traveling without any idea where you were headed? Just sort of get in the car and go, where are we going? Oh, I don't know. We'll find out when we get there. If you've ever done anything like that, it's sort of an exciting idea. It, you know, maybe dangerous too. <laughs> you might end up in the wrong neighborhood or something like that. But uh, that's not how we usually make pl- uh, plans and how we usually take our trips, is it? I mean, normally we start with the destination in mind, and then we figure out all the details. You know, am I going to fly? Am I going to drive? Um, where will I stay? How much will it cost? How long are we going to be gone? That type of thing. You figure out after you know where you're going to go. Um, but there is an exception to that in life. And the exception to that in life is actually this journey we call life. And I say that's an exception because most of us really don't give much thought to our final destination. You know, we just sort of uh, um, take life as it comes, you know. Where, where are we headed? I don't know. Well, how long are we going to be there? Oh, I don't know. Why are we going there? Haven't given it any thought. But somehow... If that's the case, by some random twist of fate, we find ourselves on June 7th, 2020 at Broadview Baptist Church in Lubbock, Texas. And it's just another stop on this journey we call life. Right? However, what if there was more going on than that? What if there is someone unseen to us all who has brought us to this particular place at this particular time, and what if that someone wants to reveal to us what could be our life's destination? And what if this someone also wanted us to actually participate in our own life's journey? More than just waking up and seeing whatever happens, happens, but actually determining the places that we go how much time we spend there, all for a certain reason, to make it to our final destination. Now, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know that this someone is God. In fact, you know God personally, and you know that you've already been on a journey with Him. And you know, probably, that there comes a time in every Christian's life when that person, that Christian, needs to escape the bondage of sin. Just as Israel escaped slavery in Egypt. There comes a time in every Christian's life when he needs to stop loving his sin and setting his heart on his sin and instead try to break free from the power of sin that had you trapped. And so the Spirit of God leads you eventually, gives you the power to get out of that sin, to get out of that Egypt out of slavery to sin, and once you escape your personal Egypt, once you break free and you no longer love that sin, but you hate that sin, and you no longer set your heart on that sin, but you're you're doing your very best to set your heart on other things, once you break free from that Egypt, you don't find yourself yet in the promised land, but you find yourself first in the wilderness. Now, the wilderness, spiritually speaking, is a much better place to be than Egypt. Egypt is bondage to sin, and every day you wake up, and even as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you you still find yourself loving and setting your heart on the things that bind you, that hurt you. And that's not a good place to be at all. 
But you finally break free of that, and you find yourself in the wilderness. Now, the wilderness for a Christian, spiritually speaking, it signifies a time in your life when God is emptying you of everything but Christ. And there's, some, for some of us, a lot that God has to empty us of. And so what I mean by that is that even as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we, we commit ourselves to the Lord, we call Jesus Lord, yet we find ourselves within us there are competing interests for the lordship of our hearts. And so we know we want Jesus to be Lord. We acknowledge that he is Lord, and yet there's competing interests against the lordship of Christ, and these interests have to be vanquished. And God is patient. God will vanquish them one by one over a period of years if he needs to. And you see, God wants you to desire him most of all. He wants you to allow the Lord Jesus to truly be Lord over every area of your life most of all. But if you're in the wilderness spiritually, that means that you're no longer in Egypt. You don't actively try to set your heart on sin anymore, but you haven't yet quite learned the practice of partaking of Christ daily. And so it's not that you just desire sin and you, and you pursue after sin with all that you've got. It's not that anymore, but if you're in the wilderness, you, you've tried to leave that behind. You hate your sin, but you, yet, you haven't yet substituted Christ in all of His fullness each day. And so if that's where you are and you sort of feel stuck, and we talked about this last week, if you feel stuck, you might wonder, is God sick of me? Is God tired of me being stuck here in the wilderness? Is he going to abandon me here in the wilderness? And the answer is no. God is not sick of you. He's not tired of you. He's not going to abandon you in the wilderness. He's going to provide for you. God has not left you. He has not forsaken you. And as long as you live in the wilderness, God will provide for you that manna, that water from a rock, the very basics of what you need, but it's a far cry from the superabundance that God has for you in the promised land. And so we need to be reminded that the wilderness is not our final destination. It's not our spiritual dwelling place. It's not meant to be, at least. Yet many Christians exactly have done that. They have established the wilderness, this sort of in-between thing, where we sort of have one foot in both worlds. We have a, a foot on earth and a foot in heaven, and we, have, we think we're trying to get the best of both worlds. We end up with the worst of both worlds. And we find ourselves in this wilderness area, spiritually speaking. And some Christians never make it out of the wilderness. They're stuck there, and they will, like Israel did, die in the wilderness. They had an entire generation of people who died in the wilderness. Some Christians never come to the place in their life where depending on Jesus Christ is a daily practice. And maybe today you're ready to empty yourself of everything except for Christ alone. And if so, the very next step for you is to finally enter into the promised land. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit today. You see, for a Christian, the promised land is an absolutely wonderful place to be. It's where God is designed for you to dwell spiritually here in this world. The promised land is not heaven. Heaven is heaven. But there is a promised land that you can experience here in this, in this life that God wants you to experience here in this life. Just as truthfully 
as Israel here in this life experienced their promised land. God has a promised land for you here in this life. The promised land is a place of incredible, magnificent, spiritual abundance, a superabundance. The promised land for a Christian, it is a real life preview in the here and now of your final destination. It's a little bit of that final destination that you get to experience here in your sickness-filled body that is in a process of decay. Here in this world, with an environment filled with sin, you can, by faith, experience a foretaste, a foreshadow of that which awaits you someday. What God has planned for us in eternity is to be foreshadowed and experienced here today. And that final destination that we strive for and long for is found in Revelation 22. Take your Bible and turn with me there. To Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter of your Bible. If you see maps, you've gone too far. Go back just a little bit. And Revelation 21 and Revelation 22 is just an incredibly beautiful passage of Scripture. And we're not going to take the time to read all of this. But it's there for your consumption as the, the Spirit of God leads you. We're going to read something very specific. And we're going to focus on something very specific that awaits us in this new heaven and new earth that God will create. In Revelation 22, verses 1 and 2, and I would ask for you to stand with me, please, in honor of the reading of God's Word. We're just going to read two verses here. Revelation 22, verses 1 and 2. This is John writing. He says, Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Father, I pray that you would teach us from this event that will happen sometime in the future. Teach us how to experience this in part today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So today, you can experience a foretaste of our future reality. You see, even Israel, 3,500 years ago, when they made it out of 40 years in the wilderness, and they entered the promised land, even Israel experienced blessings that were beyond their imagination. Can you imagine being slaves in Egypt? Can you imagine eating the same food for 40 years? 
and then having this promise to you and ultimately this experience by you. You see, the Bible describes what the promised land, the land of Canaan, was like and even is like today. And the Bible uses these words in Exodus chapter 3 and Deuteronomy chapter 8. It uses these words to describe the promised land. Listen to these words. Spacious, good, water, valleys and hills, wheat, barley, vines, figs, pomegranate, olive oil, milk, honey, bread, mountains, iron and copper. Frank Viola, in his book From Eternity to Here, aptly demonstrates that every single attribute of the promised land, every characteristic of the promised land, can be said about Jesus Christ. Spacious. We know that Christ is limitless. Christ is inexhaustible in his riches. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Paul says, that's happened right now. We have right now every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Good. Christ embodies goodness. He embodies what is pleasant. He embodies excellence. Philippians 3.8 says, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ, my Lord. Jesus Christ has surpassing value. Water described the promised land. Christ himself, we know, is a stream. He is a fountain. He is a spring of living water that is refreshing and it quenches our thirst. Jesus said, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. The promised land has valleys and hills. Christ himself is both a valley of suffering for us and a hill of overcoming for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, it says that we are unknown yet well-known. We are as dying yet behold, we live. We are as punished yet not put to death. We are as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. We are as poor yet making many rich. We are as having nothing yet possessing all things. The promised land is said to have wheat Christ is the power to die to self. Jesus talked about if a seed of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it can produce fruit. Philippians 3.10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. The promised land was said to have barley. Christ himself is resurrection life which overcomes death. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. The promised land was said to have vines 
Jesus Christ is the true vine. He's the real vine. In John 15, verse 1, he said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. The promised land was said to have figs. Christ is our sweetness. Christ is the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 describes the fruit of the Spirit. It's love and, and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. The promised land was said to have pomegranates. Christ himself is our beauty when everything else appears ugly. In the Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 16, it says he is altogether lovely. Promised land was said to have olive oil. Christ himself is the anointing of the Spirit for spiritual service. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9, it says, You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. It says that about Christ. The promised land is said to be a place which flows with milk. Christ himself is our spiritual nourishment. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. The promised land was said to have honey. And Christ himself is our pleasure. Christ himself is our satisfaction. Psalm 19, verse 10 says, They are more desirable than gold, yes, much, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb. The promised land was said to have bread. Christ is our food that satisfies our hunger and gives us life and strength for the journey. In John 6, 48, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The promised land was said to have mountains. And Christ himself, he is our ascension. He triumphs far above all principalities, far above all powers. Ephesians 1, verses 20 and 21 we read that God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the age to come. The promised land was said to have iron and copper. Christ is our spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 says, Take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. You see, for the Christian, Jesus Christ is our promised land. He is our promised land. He in all of his fullness is available to us right now. Question, how in the world then do I experience him every day? I mean, how do I live in my promised land? That is Jesus Christ. Here's the answer. By faith we partake of Him. We partake of Him. We eat and drink Christ. He is the tree of life that bears 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of that tree are for the healing of the nations. We must partake of the tree of life. He is the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, which satisfies our soul. But I want to be very clear 
Okay? No speaking in code. No vague language. How exactly does someone partake of Christ? Okay. As a Christian, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. He's with you. He's not leaving you. Okay? If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been given the Holy Spirit. He dwells in you. And the Holy Spirit in you stands ready to help you live in the promised land every day. He stands ready to help you partake of Jesus Christ. And whether that actually happens is completely up to you. The Holy Spirit's ready, but you have to be an active participant in partaking of the promised land. And so here's what you must do each day if you want to live in your promised land. Here it is. You must learn to depend on Christ in you rather than yourself. You must learn to depend. When I talk about Christ in you, I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. You must learn to depend on the Spirit of God within you instead of yourself. You must yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. Well, how do you learn to do that? Here are some things that can help you do that. Prayer can help you do that. You must be a person who prays every day. If you're a person, if you're a Christian, that goes throughout the day without spending any time praying to God, then you won't experience the fullness of what God has for you. You'll miss out. And I don't want that for you. And so you must pray every day. You must also read or hear the Word of God each day. You must read or hear the Word of God each day. And by the Word of God, I'm speaking about the Bible every day. And a third thing that can help you that I don't want to diminish is this. You must spiritually dwell with God's people. You must be someone who spiritually dwells with the people of God. And so as you do these things, your life becomes transformed into the image of Christ. As you do these things, as you begin to pray, as you begin to read the Word of God, is the more time you spend with God's people, the more you begin to serve God in active service to Him, you become sort of like a signet ring making an impression on a wax seal. And just like that, the Word of God becomes impressed upon your soul. And you become more and more like Christ. You learn to depend more and more on Christ. And so the Word of God becomes impressed on you. And so as you read the Word of God or you hear the Word of God, you hear John the Baptist say, He must increase and I must decrease. And that resonates in your soul. And you hear Jesus say, Take up your cross daily and follow me. And that resonates in your soul. 
And you hear Paul say, die to yourself and live for Christ. And that resonates in your soul. And you hear the Holy Spirit say, be filled with the Holy Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And that resonates in your soul. And so these words, the words of, of God become very real to you and experienced by you. These words become you. Or more specifically, you become these words. And before you know it, you are thinking about God all day long. And it's a wonderful thing. Thinking about God all day long. You are aware of the Father's love all day long. You're aware of the Son's sacrifice all day long. You're aware of the Spirit's power and presence in your life all day long. You'll become aware that you are living in the very will of God for your life. And that's a sweet place to be. And then it will become true of you. You'll be able to say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who is living in me. And when this begins to happen, you'll even find yourself, on occasion, speaking God's truth and God's perfect timing to people who need to hear it. You'll have divine encounters with people, and you'll come away with the, from that, and you'll say, oh, that was, that was the Lord. That was the Lord working through me. And you're aware of it. You know it, and it's not a prideful thing. It is something that you become aware of that God has just used you to plant a seed or to even bring up faith in someone else's heart and someone else's life. When this happens, you begin to look for ways that you can serve God, both in His church and in His world. You become fully convinced that this way to the Father, the way of Christ, is the only way to the Father. And you have no need at any time for anyone to convince you of your belief in Christ because He is real to you each and every moment of each and every day. And the world will look at what you believe, and they'll consider it foolish. They'll consider it hogwash. They'll say, listen, you believe in an invisible God that created this world and filled it with all types of creatures, and you believe that he made one of these creatures, humans, a little bit lower than invisible angels, and you believe that God made these humans in his own image to be royal representatives of his rule over the earth. And you believe that God chose one people, Israel, to be his own people, through whom he would bring a Messiah that would not only save them, but also the whole world. And you believe that it was part of God's plan for this Messiah to die. And you believe that God raised this Messiah from the dead when we know that's impossible. And you believe that this Messiah raised from the dead ascended to heaven and that he's seated at the right hand of the Father and that he will return to earth in glory to judge humanity and reign forever. And you believe that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the God of the universe, who must be thousands and millions and billions of years old, somehow lives in you and you talk to him and he talks to you, and you believe that all of this 
was written down in tablets and papyrus and scrolls thousands of years ago. And all of you people, you crazy people, you gather in church week after week to learn from English translations of these ancient texts of thousands of years ago. And when you gather together, you encourage one another to live according to the principles of these ancient texts that were written thousands of years ago. And you're telling me that you would rather die than recant any of these beliefs. Are you crazy? Well, yeah. That's what I believe. And if it means that the world calls me crazy, so be it. But make, make no mistake, I know what I believe. And more importantly, I know who I believe in. How about you? Do you know what you believe? Do you know who you believe in? Today I want to give you an opportunity to begin a new journey with the Lord Jesus Christ. And here very specifically is the invitation that Jesus gives you today. That if you believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God who died on a cross for your sins and was raised from the dead to give you eternal life, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and that as a sign of your commitment you are willing as a sign of your commitment to obey the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you are willing to let everyone know through baptism that you have switched sides, that you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ now, and that you will make Broadview Church your spiritual home. If this is what you are willing to do today, I want to give this invitation to you. Some of you may not be able to make Broadview Church your home. But God calls you to be a part of a local church. If you're going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, if he's going to be Lord, then you have to be willing to say yes to him. Now many of you today in this room and maybe watching on video are already Christians, but you still desire to make Broadview Church your home. And if today you've decided to follow Jesus, or if you're ready to follow Broadview, I'm going to make it real easy. I'm going to ask you to take your phone and to text the word BEGIN to 806-375-4240. I'll receive that text. And I'll get back in touch with you and we can talk personally about your decision, whatever it may be. Whether it's a decision to follow Jesus Christ or whether it's a decision to make Broadview Church your home. But God wants to go on a journey with you. And he doesn't just say, follow me into nothing. God's told you exactly where he wants to take you. He wants to take you to the tree of life and the river of life, which is Christ. Will you follow him today?